This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Dragnet was an American radio series enacting the cases of a dedicated Los Angeles police detective, Sergeant Joe Friday and his partners. Actor and producer Jack Webb's aim in Dragnet was for realism. He was a stickler for accurate details, and Dragnet used authentic touches, such as LAPD's actual radio call sign and the names of actual department officials. Dragnet is perhaps the most famous and influential police procedural drama in media history. The series gave audience members a feel for the boredom and the drudgery, as well as the danger and heroism of police work. Dragnet earned praise for improving the public opinion of police officers, and it remains a key influence on subsequent police dramas in many media. The show's cultural impact is such that after seven decades, elements of Dragnet are familiar to those who have never seen or heard the program. The ominous four-note introduction, dump, da dump, dump, instantly recognizable. Webb frequently visited police headquarters rode along in night patrols, and attended police academy courses to learn authentic jargon and details that could be featured in a radio program. And now, let's go to tonight's show entitled Homicide. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet! <laughs> The documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, this is the story of your police force in action. Dragnet! It was Tuesday, March 25th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant, so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the record bureau, and it was 13 minutes past 11 when I got to room 42. Homicide. That's a hot shot. Somebody grab it. I got it, Ed. At 1245 East Doheny Street, one, two, four, two officers shot. At 1245 East Doheny Street, Street, two officers shot. What have you got, Friday? Read it. Two officers shot. Where's Romero? 
Right here, Skipper. Okay, you've got one to roll on. Get going. Both Ben and I knew where we were heading. We'd recognized the address. It was the Trapdoor Cafe, a joint in the south end of town that did business with a pretty rough crowd. Thirteen minutes later, we pulled up in front. Two patrolmen had the crowd pretty well pushed back. There was a cruiser car in front of the cafe. The car door was open, and an officer was sprawled across the seat. He was conscious but weak, and one of his pant legs was pretty red. Hello, Sergeant. Hi. How you doing? I've done better. Yeah, well, what happened? Uh, Williams and I were cruising. We've been keeping an eye on this cafe lately. Tonight, we decided to take a look. And just as we went in, two guys left in a hurry. The back door. We followed them out into the alley. It was dark out there, and I called to them. I said, hey, fellas, just a minute. I want to talk to you. They stopped? I'll say. One of them whirled. He had a gun in his left hand. He shot both of us. Left hand, huh? Williams went down and out. I went down, but I took a shot at them. No effect. Then I started crawling out here to the car so I could call in. You started crawling? Yeah. Wait a minute, Emerson. Weren't there any people around by that time? Oh, yeah. Quite a few ran out after the shots. You mean nobody would help you to the car? That's right. Did you get a good look at either of the gunmen? Well, one of them was tall. I think he was a redhead. There was something funny about his nose. That's all I saw. It's too dark out there. Williams was closer. I think he got a good look. Joe, the other officer, Williams. He's in pretty bad shape. Is he breathing? He's still alive, Emerson. I don't know how much time he's got. Ambulance? On the way. Okay, let's round up all the men who are in the cafe. We're taking them in. We took all the men back to the city hall. There were 23 in the trapdoor cafe at the time of the shooting. We questioned all of them. One of them said there had been a redhead in the place, but he couldn't describe him. Ben and I left the interrogation room, and we went back to the squad room. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yeah, Ed. Come on, Ben. Uh. Sit down. Okay. You got anything from those people you questioned? Nothing we could use. How's Williams? Pretty bad. When do they operate? As soon as he comes out of shock. Probably in the morning. You boys will be there. Yeah, we will. When the surgeon digs that slug out, get it and mark it for evidence. Yeah. Skipper, them two men shot without asking any questions. They must be hot. Yeah. Same thing occurred to me. When we get that slug, the ballistics can tell us whether that gun's been used on other jobs. We got enough of their modus operandi to have the statistician give us a run-through on the IBM now. One of them is left-handed, and he shoots quick. Okay, be in surgery tomorrow morning at 9. Neither Ben or I said much on the way home, but we were both thinking the same thing. I knew the chief was thinking it, too. Here were two men who'd shot a couple of police officers without asking any questions. Now, I suppose you've heard a lot of stories about what the force thinks of cop killers. Sure, we don't like to lose our friends and partners any better than anybody else would. Why not figure it this way? If these two guys would gun a couple of armed police officers, do you think they'd hesitate to shoot you, the unarmed citizen? Next morning at 9 o'clock, Ben and I had scrubbed up and we were in surgery. Williams was on the table. The surgeon started in. A lot of minutes later, he got the slug. As for Williams, they took out seven feet of his intestine and said he might pull through. Hello, 
Joe, here's a report from ballistics. The slug they took out of Williams come from a 44 Smith & Wesson. A same gun was used in a liquor store killing about a month ago. You call the statistician? Yeah, uh-huh. She's running all the cards on previous shooting through the IBM machine. She ought to be through about now. Let's take a look. Okay. Come on. Hi, Helen. Just a second. Okay. Well, that's it for it. These cards will give you all the shootings pulled by two men on foot who shot quick, one of them left-handed. Right. They're all yours. Sure can tell a lot from just a bunch of little holes in these cars, can't you? Hmm. I can't, but this IBM machine can. Never ceases to amaze me. Okay, shall we check the cards out? Yeah, sure, sure. Wait a minute, Ben. Here we are. Huh? Yeah. Here's that liquor store killing Ballistics tied the Smith & Wesson in on. Same gun that Emerson Williams was shot with? Well, it checks out. The liquor store was in the same neighborhood as the Trapdoor Cafe. Same gun, huh? Got to be. How long ago? A month ago, yeah. Ben, take the DR number off this card and let's pull the crime report on that job. We pulled the crime report out of the files. It said that there was only one witness to that liquor store killing a month ago. That witness was a woman. Miss Forbes, I'm sorry to disturb you like this, but we'd like to ask some questions about that liquor store killing you witness a little over a month ago. Well, I told the police everything I knew about it then. Yeah, we know, but maybe you wouldn't mind telling us again, huh? Oh, no, I guess not. I, I've been trying to forget it to tell the truth. It was pretty terrible, and I really didn't see so very much because I was awful scared. I understand, but try to describe again just what happened, will you? Well, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I was walking down the street toward home when I re- realized I was all out of cigarettes. Well, I was right in front of the liquor store then, so I went in. The clerk was behind the counter, and there were two men standing there arguing. What's the idea of changing your mind? I thought we was going to get bourbon. No, let's get the wine. I want bourbon. Gosh, too much. Wine's good enough. The rest of them want bourbon, too. We better talk to them. Well, okay. We'll be back when we make up our mind, mister. The two men walked out of the store, and the clerk smiled at me and shrugged his shoulders. I bought a pack of cigarettes and turned to leave. But just then, the two men came back in again, and each of them had a gun in his hand. This is stick-up, mister. The clerk just sort of crumpled to the floor. I couldn't believe my eyes, but that's just how it happened. The men said this is a stick-up, and then they shot him right away. Get over against the wall, lady, or you'll get the same. One of them punched the nose tail on the cash register. I was shaking, so I almost caved in. He scooped the money out of the drawer and stuffed it into his pocket. And then... And the other one went over to where the liquor clerk was lying face down. He knelt down beside the clerk and he put his gun against the clerk's spine. Then, then they both ran out of the store. Oh, it was terrible. That clerk, he was lying there helpless and wounded and they delivered Yeah, oh, Miss Forbes, I understand. Oh, Miss Forbes, uh, you said that both of the men had guns? Yes. One of the guns was black and the other was sort of, well, sort of fancy looking. What do you mean, Miss Forbes? Well, it was real shiny. Nickel plated? I wouldn't know about that, but it was shiny. There were two guns, huh? Yes. Well, now about the men themselves. Well, I, I was so scared their faces just didn't register with me. The one who... one who shot the clerk in the back was sort of stocky. It's about the best I can do. But you mentioned in the report that one of the men was left-handed. Yes, I do remember that. Uh-huh. Now, look, Miss Forbes. This is very important to us. One of the men was a redhead? Redhead? Why, no, I didn't see any redhead. 
Skipper, me and Joe's run right smack into a stone wall on this thing. What's the complication? Well, there's more than one, Ed. In the first place, we know that the 44 Smith & Wesson was used in both shootings. But the descriptions of the men involved don't check. Police officer Emerson said he thought the man that, uh, uh, that shot him and Williams outside the trapdoor cafe was a tall, left-handed redhead. Said there's something funny about his nose. You think Williams got a better look at him? Probably did, but Williams isn't strong enough to talk yet. And a girl that witnessed the liquor store killing a month ago said that one of those men was left-handed. But she said neither of them was a redhead. And on top of all that, now we've got two guns to worry about. The girl mentioned two guns, so we checked the autopsy report on that liquor clerk. And, Ed, the bullet that actually killed him came from a thirty-two twenty, not a forty-four Smith & Wesson. That fact didn't get any publicity at the time, did it? No, it didn't. Okay. We won't give it any publicity now, either. Well, Lawdown, it's just the forty-four Smith & Wesson we're after. Because if whoever owns the thirty-two twenty finds out it's hot, we'll never get it. Anything else? Well, we sent teletypes to all outland stations in neighboring cities. Told them if they get any red-headed suspects, no matter what charge they got them on, to hold them for questioning. Yeah. Now, how about this thirty-two twenty, the actual murder weapon? Any leads on it? We've got one, Ed. We've been checking the records, and we discovered that four hours after the liquor store killing, a taxi driver in the neighborhood was shot and robbed. The slug was pretty well mashed, but there was enough to tell it was from a thirty-two twenty. So we're going over to question the taxi driver now. Good. Well, I think you boys are on the right trail. So far, what we've got is mostly unrelated facts, but sooner or later, those facts have all got to tie in at some point along the line. Find that point. Yeah, find the point. Find the tie-in. Well, Ben and I went over to see the taxi driver, a guy who was living on borrowed time. Yeah, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when it happened. I got a call to pick up a fare near 105th and Avalon, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I got there, somebody came over, pulled up my cap door and said, this is a stick-up. Then blow it, you let me have it. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. Same deal as others, Joe. Itchy trigger finger. Yeah. Did you get any kind of a look at the fella? Look, no, no, it's too dark. Uh-huh. Hey, um, according to the report, you got shot in the chest. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're maybe wondering how come I'm still alive, huh? I'll tell you, pal, it's like something you'd see in a bad movie, you know? You know, I'm carrying a few silver dollars with me, nine of them to be exact. So I decided to stick them in my breast pocket. Well, Mr. That just saved my life. The slug hit them silver dollars. It's one for the book, huh? Yeah, you said it. Well, thanks very much. Say, incidentally, we had a little trouble finding you today. You weren't at the stand you operated out of last month. Well, look, look, uh, I'm not only not at my usual stand, I'm not driving a hack no more. Oh? Look, after what happened, are you kidding? No, I don't want to push my luck any further than it's been pushed. Yeah, I figure I had it, you know? About that time, Ben and I were beginning to figure we'd had it. We were getting nowhere fast. We had a few informants nosing around, but so far they hadn't come up with any leads. Well, Ben and I followed up all the teletypes that poured in. We just got back from Santa Ana where we'd been questioning a redheaded suspect, and we'd flopped in the squad room when Chief Backstrand's door opened. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Please. Yes, Kim. Any luck with the Santa Ana redheads? No, nope, none at all. Hmm. I guess you haven't heard the latest. We just now got back in town, Skipper. Early this morning, another cab driver got shot. What? Yeah. Man came up to his taxi, opened the door, said, this is a stick-up, and shot him. Well, it went through one leg and into the other, but the driver managed to start his cab and drove over to a cafe. He called in from there. Uh, boys recovered the slug? Yeah. 
It came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that was used in the other two jobs. The cab driver get a look at the gunman? Yeah, briefly. Was it the redhead? No. Well, the stocky guy. He wasn't redheaded and he wasn't stocky. That's all the driver knows. Well, that's great. Skipper, this is beginning to sound like a guns a month club. You reckon somebody's renting them guns out? Well, they're passing the guns around all right, but I think they're working together. The way they operate indicates that. Yeah, the trigger-happy routine. Killing is apparently more than a business to them. It's pleasure, too. That's why we've got to get to them fast. Come over here. All right. Come on, then. Here. Take a look at this map. Uh-huh. Here's the trapdoor cafe, and over here's the liquor store. Down here is where the first cab driver got shot. Mm-hmm. Right here's where the second one got it. Mm. All of the shootings have taken place within an area of ten square blocks. Okay. Tonight we're going to throw a blockade around that whole area. Good. It'll go into effect at 10 p.m. At 9.45 p.m., cars and officers started drifting into the area by twos and threes. At a 10, when Backstrand, Ben and I arrived, the whole area was sewed up tighter than a tick. Now, code three. Pacific Ambulance. Davis? One. Gotcha. All set? All set. We got a primary line and a secondary line. If anyone tries to make a break, we'll pick him up in the secondary. Okay. Friday and Romero here will cruise around the area with me. Go to work, men. Every car in the area was shaken down. The same process was also followed on all persons on foot. The blockade went on all night. By the end of that time, we'd brought in 217 suspects. 26 of them were redheads. What's your name? Henry Wagner. Where do you work? Lumberyard. Which one? First star. What time did you get through work last night? About six, I guess. What'd you do then? At some dinner. Where? Uh, Harry's Grill. And what? Shot a little pool. Look, I tell you, I ain't done nothing. Now, uh, let's go back to the day before yesterday. And that's the way it went all day long. We shot question after question at them, working them gradually back to the days on which the shootings had taken place. When it was all over, we got six men wanted in other cities on various charges. We got quite an assortment of guns and knives. But as far as the shootings were concerned, we got nothing. Well, I guess that's the last of them. Oh, I was running out of questions there at the end. You two boys better go on home and get some sleep. Well... I was kind of figuring on checking back over the reports to see if we might have overlooked something. I said go on home. You two boys have been at it for 32 hours straight. Look at you. You're both so groggy you can hardly stand up. You need sleep. It's uh, 4 p.m. now. Don't come back until 10 p.m. When I walked into the squad room at 10, Ben was already there. An informant had just phoned in a new lead. He told Ben he'd heard about a gang that had been hanging out down around the DeVere bungalow court in the south end of town. We knew that the DeVere was close to the trapdoor cafe, so we went over to talk to the manager. Joe, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, you checked on how Williams is getting along? Yeah, I did. I called the hospital this afternoon. It's going to be all right. Oh, that's fine. Well, here we are. Yeah, manager's office. Still got a light on. Yeah? I'm Sergeant Friday. Police, this is Sergeant Romero. Yeah? We'd like a little information. Why, sure. Come in. Thank you. What can I do for you? Well, did you hear anything about a gang that hangs out down around here anywhere? Gang? Well, no. Well, how about your tenants here? Any of them ever been in trouble, to your knowledge? No. This ain't exactly the best neighborhood in town, but we try to keep things under control. Once in a while, one of them will get out of line, but when that happens, we heave them out of here. You heaved anybody out lately? 
Yeah, I did. Phone his wife a few weeks ago. They had a fight in one of the bungalows. She took a shot at him, but she missed. Party by the name of Stuba, Carl Stuba. What did this Stuba look like? Oh, sort of tall, skinny. Was he a redhead? No. Now, uh, we'd like to take a look at that bungalow that he lived in. Sure, sure. Help yourselves. Down the end there, number five. Still vacant. Does it? Stuba didn't leave a thing behind. Matter of fact, we don't have anything to prove that this Stuba's tied in at all. We're only working on a hunch. Hey, Joe, look. Where? Up on the wall there, just by the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that plaster there, it's newer than the rest. You got a knife? Oh, I sure have, boy, and I'm carving. That manager'd be awful unhappy with me if he is here. Yeah, he would. Yeah, it might. Hey, Joe, here it is. A slug. They plastered right over okay, it. Okay, dig it out and let's hope it matches. It matched. The slug from the wall came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that had been used in the other shootings. So now we had a name to work on, Carl Stuba. But he'd done a good job of dropping out of sight. Well, the next day, Ben thought he had another lead. I've just been talking to another informant, Joe. He says he heard that there's a fellow down in that neighborhood been trying to sell a gun lately. What kind of a gun? Nickel-plated with steer horn handles. Nickel plated. Well, maybe that's our 44 Smith & Wesson. Maybe. Did the informant know who this man was? Said the feller's name was Alonzo. Yeah. Alonzo who? Just Alonzo. That's all he knew. So now we had two names. Stuba and Alonzo. But no men to go with him. So we went back to making the rounds of the substations, interviewing red-headed suspects. We took a few of them to Williams, who was home from the hospital by now, but he couldn't identify any of them as the man who shot him. Still, we kept checking. Finally, we got around to the 77th Street station. We questioned the suspects they were holding there, and we just started to leave when one of the officers called us. Hey, Sarge, yeah. we're holding somebody else you might want to look at. Redhead? No. What's the choice? Suspicion of burglary? Small job. Oh, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? What's special about him? He lives in the same neighborhood where those... Shootings took place? All right. Where you got him? Down here. You admit anything? No. He's pretty surly. Here we are. Thanks. Hi. What do you want? I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Sergeant Romero. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Look, I already told the other cops all I know. I didn't steal no radio from that jerk. What's your name? We've been through all that once. Come on, what's your name? Jackson. Alonzo Jackson. Alonzo. I looked at Ben and Ben looked at me. This could be the Alonzo who'd been trying to peddle at Smith & Wesson. Ben and I both knew here was one suspect we'd have to be real careful with. Alonzo, uh, according to the records, this burglary you're suspected of took place on the night of the 27th. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys they didn't have anything to do with it? You got an alibi for that night? Sure. I got an alibi. I was out with a couple of friends. I can tell you. What's your friend's name, Londo? One of them's Cranley, the other Stuba. Stuba, the guy who used to live in the bungalow court. Well, we told Alonzo he'd have to produce his two friends to give him an alibi for the burglary charge, and he bit. He went with us, and he pointed out where Stuba was living now. No wonder we hadn't been able to find him. There was a little shack at the back of a lot behind two houses. We thought it was a chicken coop at first. We took Alonzo back to the station, then we picked up Stuba. He was surprised to see us and not very happy. We took him in. 
Next, Alonzo gave us Crandall's address. Yeah? Mr. Crandall in? No. Will he be back soon? I don't know. Who are you? Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, police. What do you want with him? Oh, nothing important, lady. We just wanted him as a witness. Oh. Well, I don't know just when he'll be back. Probably an hour or two. Okay, thanks. We went down the street away and we staked out in the car. We sat there for about five hours and then Ben nudged me in the ribs. Hey, Joe. Huh? Joe, take a look. Coming along the sidewalk. Yeah. And he's got red hair. Come on. Crandall. Huh? Your name Crandall? Who are you? Friday Romero, police. Police? What do you want with me? I, I haven't done nothing. Well, then you got nothing in the world to worry about. Come on. We questioned Crandall for an hour, but he wouldn't give an inch. Denied everything. Then we put him in a car and we drove over to Officer Williams' house. I left Ben in the living room with Crandall while I went in Williams' bedroom. Hello, Sarge. Hi, Williams. How you doing? Yeah, a little better, I think. That's fine. Look, we've got another redhead outside. <laughs> Bring him in. Okay. All right, Crandall, come on in here. Who's in there? Why'd you bring me over here? Come on in here. How about it, Williams? That's the guy. No, I'm that's not. the I... guy that shot me. Well, Crandall. No. Yeah. I... It... it was an accident. I didn't mean to shoot him. It was an accident. Once Crandall got started, he talked his head off. He also admitted being in on the liquor store killing, but insisted he was only the lookout. We took him back to the station and got his whole story down on a tape recorder. Yeah, he was left-handed. Then we went back to Alonzo, who didn't know we had Crandall's confession. We met the chief in the hall outside the room where they were holding Alonzo. About ready to tie the knot? Oh, hope so, chief. But Alonzo hasn't given any yet, and we still haven't found those guns. We've got one of them. Which one? The Smith & Wesson. Stuba popped about that one ten minutes ago. Said he left it with his girl. A couple of the boys are on their way over to get it now. That's good, Ed. That leaves just the thirty-two twenty. You have mentioned the thirty-two twenty to Alonzo, have you? No. He still thinks we're after that Smith and Wesson, and that's the way we're going to play it right now. Go ahead. Look, how much longer are you guys going to hold me here? Didn't you check with those friends of mine? Alonzo, we got a tip that you've been trying to sell a gun lately. A gun? Yeah, forty-four Smith and Wesson. Ah. Oh. No, it's not true. That Smith & Wesson's been using a couple of robbery jobs this month, and we think it's your gun. That's a lie. Any proof of that? Why, yeah. Sure, I got proof of that. Uh, I used to have a gun, but it wasn't a Smith & Wesson. Look, if I tell you where it is, that ought to convince you, shouldn't it? It'll help things. Okay. I sold it to a neighbor of mine. He gave me seven bucks. I'll give you his address. You sure it's not a Smith & Wesson? Sure, I'm sure. It's a thirty-two twenty. Yeah, it worked. We went to the neighbor's address, and he admitted having bought the thirty-two twenty, but said he lent it to a friend who'd never returned it. The friend had hocked the gun to a barber. The barber gave him 15 bucks and a haircut for it. We finally got it from the barber, and we came back to the station. I'm all set, Joe. I'll be in the next room. Just give me the nod. Okay. Hello, Alonzo. Hey, you got the gun. Yeah, we got the gun. Well, now maybe you'll believe I'm on the level. 
Okay, if I go now? I guess we won't be able to hold you here much longer. You can say that again, brother. You gotta save a lot of time for you to listen to what I've been trying to tell you all along. I guess you're right, Alonzo. Sure, I'm right. You know, you guys would be a lot better off. You believe guys like me the first time we tell you something. Instead of running... I was only a lookout. I was outside. It was the other two who pulled that one. Stuba and Alonzo. Alonzo killed the clerk. Hold it, Alonzo. All right, Alonzo, that's enough. Now, come on. How about it? What's the use? All right. That's like he said. Okay, Ben, bring the recorder in here. Alonzo's ready to make a record now. By playing back Crandall's statement that we'd recorded earlier, we got a full confession from Alonzo. We took the three of them out and had them reenact the four shootings, and we photographed it on sound film. Crandall, the redhead, was the one who'd shot the two police officers, but he was only the lookout for the liquor store killing, which explains why the girl witness didn't see him in the store. Stuba and Alonzo were the ones who pulled that job. And Alonzo, the worst of the bunch, was the one who put the 3220 against the spine of the wounded clerk. The three of them took turns at shooting the cab drivers and robbing them. That accounted for the mixed-up descriptions, including all that left-handed business. Two of the three suspects happened to be left-handed. Well, that was the crop. Crandall, Alonzo, Stuba. Four shootings, three robberies, four attempted murders, one murder. The three men were tried and convicted... They're all in the state penitentiary. Crandall's there for life. Alonzo and Stuba, they'll be executed next week. File it, will you, Ben? Case closed. Dragnet! The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed. To protect the innocent. You have just heard the second in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Radio Officer Delmer E. Cook of the Los Angeles Police Department who, on the afternoon of December 6th, 1948, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Duffy's Tavern. And this ought to be pretty good, frighteningly good. Boris Karloff guests on the show. Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meets eat, Archie the man just speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. How's business? No. Huh? It's a Latin word. Uh, N-I-L means, uh, naturally, it's lousy. <laughs> huh? That confirms what? You're gonna sell the tavern. But, Duffy, you can't. This place is an institution. Yeah, a landmark. For years, people have said, 
Meet me in front of Duffy's Tavern, and uh, we'll go someplace for dinner. (laughs) It's too late. The real estate guy is already on his way down. But Duffy, Duffy, if you sell the place, where can I go? I can... Oh, yeah? (laughs) Hey, Fats. Yes, sir. Fats, I feel sick. The real estate guy is on his way down here, and Duffy's selling the tavern. You mean we liberated... You don't seem to realize, Fats Duffy's selling the tavern A thing like that could force us back to work Maybe the new owner will give us a job here Oh, but it wouldn't be the same, Fats The new owner might turn it into one of them fancy cocktail lounges With a lot of modern production methods Imagine me, Archie, a master bartender Turned into an end man on a martini line. <laughs> Duffy's Tavern being sold. Mother Tavern. A refuse from the workaday world. I can't quite conceive it. We're, we're sure going to miss the laughs around here, Fats. Yep. A lot of laughs. Yeah. Remember when Duffy gave you your first paycheck? Yep. A lot of laughs. <laughs> And a lot of tragedy, too. Remember the time we had the big three-alarm fire next door when Chin Lee's laundry burned into the ground and a fireman made a mistake and came in here instead? Remember how them firemen loved the tavern, Fats? They just didn't want to leave. No, sir. They just sat there sipping their beers and complaining about the heat. <laughs> yes, sir. I can't bear the thought of leaving this joint. I... I wonder how we could discourage this real estate guy from buying it when he gets here. Well, why don't you take him in the, and show him the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, think that might do it? When he hears them little feet tramping around, <laughs> he's going to think it's the march of time. <laughs> Just a second, Fats. A lot of fine people have vet the food in that kitchen. James Taylor, Lawrence Melchior, Bella Lugosi. <laughs> yeah. Boris Karloff. Oh. Hey, wait a minute. Boris Karloff, that gives me an idea. Boris is a friend of mine. Maybe I could get him to come down here and make this real estate guy think the place is haunted. Haunted? What self-respecting ghost would live here? Look, don't be funny. Give me that phone till I call Carla. Hello? Hotel Plasma? Uh, I mean, Plaza? Uh, Boris Karloff, please. Yes, uh, room number 13. Hello, Boris. This is Archie. Archie from Duffy's Tavern. Uh, Remember? Neck 15 and a half, blood type O. (laughs) Uh, uh, Look, Boris, I want you to come down to the tavern right away. You're too busy. But, Boris, I have a very grave problem. You'll be right down, huh? Okay, thanks, kid. Ah, gee, it's nice of Boris to do this for me. I guess the guy really loves me, huh? Well, most of his friends are bats. Uh, hello, what? Oh, hi, Finnegan. 
Uh, Finnegan, did you ever see Boris Karloff in pictures? Oh, yeah. I like him. He's very good. Yeah. So natural. At least to my way of thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I saw him in a picture the other night, a double feature. And his picture was much better than the other one. Was, huh? Uh, uh, what was the name of the other one? Uh, the other one was called... Uh, Oh, uh, the, uh, Pate something or other. <laughs> oh, uh, tell me, how did you like it? Well, it was hard to follow the plot. <laughs> the plot? Yeah, yeah. It started with a rooster crowing, and then all of a sudden, our hero comes out, and then the first thing he does is win the Irish sweepstakes. <laughs> Then in the next scene, he's up in San Francisco signing a peace treaty. This is the hero? Yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't know him. He's dressed up in a silk hat disguised as a Jap. That's nice. How did he like San Francisco? Uh, not much, George. How do you know? Well, in the next scene, him and his girlfriend is riding the surfboards in Florida. <laughs> Huh? Was he any good at this surfboard riding? Oh, it sure was, Josh. And President Truman must have thought so, too. Because in the next scene, the president gives the guy a medal. <laughs> this is still the same hero. Oh, yeah, it's the same hero. Only now he's in an army uniform. <laughs> this is where the plot got confused. <laughs> In what respect? Well, in the next scene, the hero's girlfriend also gets a medal. For what? For winning a beauty contest in Atlantic City. Well, was the hero in Atlantic City with us? Oh, no, no. He was busy sitting on the roof. What roof? The roof of a house floating down the Mississippi River. <laughs> Are you sure that you've seen this in the movies? Uh, yeah, why, why? Sounds like one of them plots they write for television. <laughs> oh, I never watch television. You don't? Nah. You never see nothing but newsreels. <laughs> That's a waste of time. Yes, they are, kids. Uh, yes, what is it, Miss Duffy? Papa asked me to give you this letter for your next employer. Oh, a recommendation, huh? Uh, what does it say? To whom it may concern. <laughs> what a clever way to start. I want all the world to know about my faithful employee, Archie. Well, that's nice. It's Archie who has made me what I am today. How oh, nice. Bankrupt. Yeah. Well, Miss Duffy, it happens that I don't need his crummy letter I got a certain Hollywood star coming down here tonight Who's going to make that letter unnecessary A Hollywood star? Who? Yes Uh, Van Johnson No Clark Gable No Frank Sinatra Gregory Peck Tyrone Power No, but you're getting warmer You're telling me <laughs> oh, 
Well, I won't keep you guessing, Miss Duffy. It's Boris Karloff. He's coming down here tonight to haunt the place so that real estate guy won't buy it. Boris Karloff? Gee, my favorite monster. <laughs> you think he'll go for me? Well, why not? The guy's only inhuman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who knows? We might even get married. You and Boris? Oh, no. Why not? Why could you work? I was thinking of Boris. <laughs> Can't understand what's keeping Boris. Dark enough for the guy to have left his hotel. <laughs> I wonder if he could have stopped at the morgue. Why would he stop at the morgue? Oh, just to browse. <laughs> I hope he gets here before the real estate guy does, and my best laid plans will gang McGee. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, Finnegan. Hey, Finnegan. <laughs> Look, uh, we got a conspiracy tonight in the tavern that you're liable to louse up, so it presents a problem. Oh, uh, what's the problem? How could we get rid of you? <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> Let's see now. Well, uh, you could try insulting me. Insulting you? Okay, yeah. Uh, then again, you're a moron. Thank you, uh, Well, <clears throat> let's try it again. Finnegan, if brains was chow mein, you couldn't get on the menu at Ruby Foo's. <laughs> try me again, boss. <laughs> Look, there's no use trying to insult you, Finnegan. You're getting to be as smart as me. That does it, Arch. I think you could say. That's good. Now, Fats. Yeah. Fats, when Karloff gets here, let's be sure we treat him right. Now, uh, play a little mood music for him, huh? What will I play? Oh, I don't know. Uh, a tisket, a casket. Uh, <laughs> uh, pretty ghoul is like a melody. Uh, you know, something to make him feel he's among mutual fiends. I mean, friends. <clears throat> Go ahead, Fats. Play something. Sure. Jealousy, 
When they see you out with me, I don't blame them goodness knows. Honey, suffer rose, when you've had about a problem, you can't stop. I know the reason why your perfection goodness knows. Honey, suffer rose. I don't need sugar, you just have to touch my cup. You, my sugar, it's mighty, mighty sweet when you stir it up. When I'm taking sip, you're taking sip, it's the honey fairly flips you, perfection goodness knows. Honey, suffer rose. Fats, hey, hey, you must be a fried piper. Here comes Boris Karloff now. You are expecting maybe the bride of Finkelstein? <laughs> hey, Boris, you know, I was surprised when I heard you was in town. Now, when did you get in? Just yesterday. My old friend, Baylor Lugosi, flew me in. <laughs> Lugosi, huh? I didn't know Lugosi had a plane. He hasn't. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, anyway, uh, by the nonce, Boris. Yes? Yeah, you're something that puzzles me. You know? How come a guy with a name like Boris speaks English like you do? Something that puzzles me. How come a guy with a name like Archie speaks English like you do? <laughs> Well, you ask a ghoulish question, you get a ghoulish answer. <laughs> anyway, how's things, uh, Boris? How does it feel to be in a business where you do nothing but knock people off? That's a fantastic question from the manager of Duffy's Tavern. <laughs> Guess this is no guy to argue with. Better be friendly. Boris, uh, would you care for a drink? Why, thank you. Uh, well, you have. You serve zombies? <laughs> we serve anybody, sure. <laughs> Anything you want, Boris. Uh, name your poison. Now, please, don't let's talk shop. <laughs> okay, as I was saying, it's a great racket you're in, you know. I'd like to play in one of them horror pictures myself sometime. Seems to me you made a picture called The Man with My Face. Well, that just happened to turn out to be a horror picture. <laughs> Tell me, uh, do you find it easy, them parts that you play? No, I find it very exhausting. Yeah. All that makeup, those heavy costumes. Why, in one picture, they had me weighed down with 40 pounds of lead. How would you like to walk around carrying 40 pounds of lead? He's been rehearsing the part for years. <laughs> Drink up, Boris. Uh, here's good luck. Mud in your eye. There is. Oh, my. I must stop sleeping in cemeteries. <laughs> Ruins my looks. Say, Archie. Yeah, yes? Well, <laughs> ain't you going to introduce me? Oh, sure. Uh, Boris, uh, you have a flair for the hideous. <laughs> uh, this is Miss Duffy. Miss Duffy, this is Frankenstein. Likewise, I'm sure. You ain't kidding. <laughs> so you're Boris Carla. Yes, and you're Miss Duffy. Yes. Gee, you, you give, give me, me the, the shivers. shivers. <laughs> uh, tell me, 
Mr. Karloff, uh, have you ever played a romantic part in a picture? Of course I have. Once I played the part of a lover, Miss Duffy. Didn't you see me in that scene in the haunted house? With the head of that beautiful girl nestling in my lap in the attic? Yes. Why was the rest of her nestling in the basement? (laughs) Because Boris likes to concentrate on one thing at a time. Uh, Mr. Carlos, I have a rather delicate question to ask you, and uh, <laughs> I don't quite know how to put it. Oh, perhaps you can give me a hint. Yes, will you marry me? <laughs> oh, Miss Duffy, you'll be taking an awful chance. Have you ever seen me with my makeup on? Have you ever seen her with her makeup off? <laughs> Now, Miss Duffy, please, your broomstick, it went that away. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Terrible, huh, Boris? Ooh. <laughs> well, Archie, what was the favor you wanted to ask of me? Oh, well, you see, there's a real estate guy coming down here to take over this joint, and we need something to scare him away. Have you tried the free lunch? <laughs> no. No, we need something uh, even obnoxiouser than that, Boris. We need you. I want you to make them believe, you see, that the joint is haunted You know, blood-curdling screams Crunching of bones, clanking of chains Groans from the grave Fiendish tales of torture I know, I know Just like the children's programs on television (laughs) That's right What do you say, will you do it? Sure, why not? Attaboy, Boris, you got the right spirit What's that? I say, you got the right spirit. Who's? <laughs> Look, Boris, will you or will you not haunt the place? Well, if I do, I'll have to have the proper setting. How do you mean? Well, I want the tavern practically in darkness, with just faint streaks of light filtering through grimy windows. I want the eerie whistle of the wind rushing through crevices in the moldy wall. Rats and mice scurrying from corner to corner, and overhead, huge bats flapping their leathery wings as they swoop down past the cobwebs from rafter to rafter. That's what I'll need. That's what you'll need? Yes. Take a look around you. That's what you already got. Fats, I'm just thinking, how could we get our doors to squeak, you know, like them creaking doors on the radio? Easy. Just all them up a little. <laughs> we'll do that. We want to get this real estate guy scared to death. Well, don't count too much on it. What do you mean? Anybody thinking of buying this place, don't scare easy. <laughs> we shall see. Look, Boris. Yes? Are you sure you can do a good job scaring this real estate guy? Can I do a good job? Me, a man who was known to millions as an arch-killer. Say, that gives me an idea. Come here, arch. Now, just a second. Of course. 
Take it easy. According to Emily Post, one does not make a ghost of one's host. <laughs> Mr. Archie. <laughs> Mr. Archie. Huh? A customer just came in. A customer came in? You see? Strange things are happening already. <laughs> Wait a minute, Boris. That ain't no customer. Quick, hide in the back room. Uh, well, good evening, sir. Good evening. Do you mind if I examine the premises here? Oh, I take it that you are the late real estate man? I beg your pardon? Your name, sir? Oh, Crow is the name. Crow, huh? Yes, sir. S. Crow. S. Crow, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Crow, what real estate firm do you represent? Here's my car. Let me see here. Closure, 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 and closure. Foreclosures? <laughs> we specialize in them, uh-huh. but I have no time to waste. Now, let's begin with the appraisal. Now, first, how's the roof? The roof? Oh, it's perfect. If it didn't rain now and then, you'd never know it leaked. <laughs> and how's the cellar? The cellar, uh, the building inspector went down there just last week. And what was his report? I don't know. He ain't come up yet. (laughs) Anything else you want to know? What about termites? All you want. (laughs) Do you mind if I sweep away some of the sawdust and look at the floor? Mr. Crow, that sawdust is the floor. And look, before you go trying to buy this building, don't forget I personally have been here for ten years and I got certain squatters' rights. So what? I intend to squat on them. (laughs) And don't forget, possession is nine points of the law. What's that got to do with it? You think nine is an easy point to make? (laughs) If you do, leave me quote your Clause B subdivision one of the Louisiana Purchase. I quote... Whenever an imaginary tavern becomes a realty, then the ownership of the mortgage reverts to the quit claim and or tenancy. Is that all? No. Unquote. <laughs> Just a second, young man. Are you trying to confuse me? No, Crow. I'm trying to give you a tip. Lay off this place. Lay off? Why? Why? Because it's haunted. Every night at midnight, at the stroke of 12, a ghost comes out of that back room. Wait. Here he comes now. But it is not midnight. Daylight saving time confuses him. <laughs> hey, look at him, coming through the plaster there. Balmy Boris, the daffy demon of Duffy's. Oh. Oh, Boris. Oh, Boris. Boris. This is Mr. Crow. Good evening, Mr. Crow. Here, let me take your hat and... <laughs> what a fiend! Mortal Archie, where are your manners? We have a guest. Please remove your head. <laughs> Sorry, Boris. Uh, look, now tell the gentleman how you became a ghost. Huh? Two hundred years ago, I was foully murdered in this very tavern, which was known in those days as Ye Old Duffy's Inn, at the sign of the Rook and the Schnook. <laughs> Just a second. He's 200 years old? Why, certainly. The reason he's so healthy is he only eats vegetarians. (laughs) That is for dinner. And what about breakfast? Post-ghosties. 
Now, do you think your client still wants to buy the place, Mr. Crow, with a ghost living here 200 years? Why not? I think my client would like to have a steady tenant. Hmm. This guy ain't scaring, boss. You're letting me down. Now, please, put the heat on, okay, will you? Okay, okay. Crow, I've been living down in the cellar with my friends. The spiders, the tarantulas, and the scorpions. You didn't happen to run into a building inspector, did you? <laughs> Don't be such a wise guy, Crow. Boris, I think you're spending too much time in that cellar. It's beginning to make you look pale. Exactly what the doctors tell me. The doctors? Yes, I have a doctor come in daily to give me a special diet. To build a rich, red blood. A different doctor each day, of course. <laughs> Did you hear that, Crow? Oh, I wasn't listening. I was making some notes. But, Boris, look at the guy. You ain't even goose pimping him. Mr. Crow, if your client should become the next owner of this building, I will be forced to have his blood. I'll squeeze it out of him drop by drop. Don't that frighten you, Crow, all this blood squeezing? Don't be silly. I've worked with landlords for years. <laughs> Boris, I'll give you one more chance. Either you scare the guy or you go back to Milton Berle. Oh, no. No, Archie, not that. I'll do anything you say. Okay, okay. Crow, your hour has come. Boris, get that look out of your eye. I want to hear the crunch of bones, the crack of skulls. Boris, the ghastly flowing of blood. Look! It walks. It's not human. And yet, yet in human form. Wait a minute. Look, it walks. It's not human, and, and yet it's in human form. Stop! Get me out of here! Hey, hey, what's going on here? Uh, hello. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.